Awesome. All right. All right. Uh, hey, we're going to, uh, man, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going we're gonna to jump in, man. We've had some hilarious stuff happen. It turns out the lights that kept going on and off, uh, somebody here in the room was hanging out talking to somebody and just leaned on the light switch, turned the lights off, turned them out, off in the booth, turned off again. That must have been an awesome conversation somebody was having. But uh, so it wasn't the devil, people, okay? You're safe, all right? All right, let's pray. <laughs> Dear Jesus, I just thank you so much for today. And God, that your word is true. God, your word speaks into our lives in ways that we could never imagine. And so Jesus, when you tell us that your word it's, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. What you're saying to us is there, there are people in the room right now, and what we need is we need you to speak to us in such a way that, just, that it just digs down beneath the skin. It digs down just to the really deep levels in our heart because, God, you want to change our hearts. And so, God, I pray that right now you would speak to us. Married or not married, divorced, single, grandparent, teenager, doesn't matter who we are today, help us to lean in because, God, you're going to speak, and you want an audience with us. And so, Jesus, have your way right here in this room in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me ask you guys a question. It might be hard to see maybe in the back, but people up front can probably uh, see this. I don't know if you'll know what this is. Does anybody know what this is? What is that? It's not an iPhone. Now, last week I had an iPhone. I drove a car up here and, so, uh, and all that stuff. This is, this is not, this is, not uh, it's a, this is a GPS, okay? Anybody have, used to have one of these in your car, GPS system? Raise your hand if you used to have one of these in your car. Man, all, all kinds of hands are going up. I can remember. It's weird the things that I remember. Like, it's weird the things that kind of stick in your head as moments in your life that just kind of stay with you. But I can remember, and it wasn't this one. This is just one I found this week. Um, but I can remember the first time I was in a car that had a GPS in it, and I was blown away. I was convinced that next week we were getting hoverboards and our Nikes were tying themselves. Michael J. Fox, it, Back to the Future had happened. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was a big deal. I, I had never been in a car with a GPS, and so I get in, and we're driving down the street, and all of a sudden there's this voice that says, turn right. And I was like, What? Like, God is speaking to you directions. This is amazing. And I, I, was, I was blown away. It knew where I wanted to go and told me how to get there. Told me the turns that I needed to take. Told me the next stop. Told me how far the next left was up in front of me. It was an amazing moment for my life. And oh my gosh, the thing that I love the most is when you missed a turn, she didn't yell at you. She didn't remind you how much of a loser you were. You just missed that turn, and, and that sweet lady in the box just simply says to you, recalculating, as if to say, don't you worry, sugar. You, you're going to get there. We, we're going to get there. That's awesome to me. I mean, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing for today, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a relationship GPS wouldn't that be all like if there was an app you could download on your phone and it would just tell you, you know, you could punch into the relationship GPS where you wanted your marriage to be in 15 years and the relationship GPS would tell you what to talk about every day. 
It would tell you the decisions that you need to make. You could punch into the relationship GPS, the kind of person that you eventually wanted to marry, and it would lead you to that person. It could help you have the marriage that you always wanted. You have a fight with your spouse, it would just simply say, recalculating, you know? Wouldn't that be amazing? But there is no relationship GPS, is there? There, there isn't. And the reason there isn't is because life is really messy. In, in fact, today, we just need to be really honest and admit that not only is life messy, but marriage is hard, isn't it? Marriage is hard. If you're married and you don't think marriage is hard, that says to me you got married five minutes ago. That's what that says, right? And so today, in part two of our series, I Want a New Life, we're talking about I want a new marriage. And because life is messy and marriage is hard, I need to just be honest with you today. And and I don't know how excited you were. I really don't know what got you here today. Maybe you saw it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You got something in the mail. And you knew we were talking about this today. And you, like, coerced your spouse, you know, your husband, your wife, to come. I don't know how excited you are. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, this is what we need. This is going to fix all of our problems. And I just want to say to you, it won't. It won't. And here's why it won't. It's because life is messy and marriage is hard. And because that's true, there is no silver bullet that I can give you today so that in 30 minutes you can walk out of here and poof, you've got a perfect marriage. Or all of a sudden you'll never have a relationship problem again. Or all of a sudden you'll date, you'll stop dating losers. Amen? That's not, there is no silver, I I can't give you three tips today on how to get a smoking hot marriage and you do those tips this afternoon and the next thing you know you're making out in the diaper aisle at Walmart. I can't give you that. I can't give you that. Now if you do that, take a picture so that we can all talk about you online. But I can't give you that today. But here's what I will try to do. Today, I want to give you one principle that's true for all of life, okay? This principle that I'm going to talk about today, it's true for every area of life, but I'm going to talk about this principle in the context of marriage. And again, so, so this is true for everything. This is true for absolutely everything. doesn't matter if you've got a financial problem. doesn't matter if you're, you've got some parenting issues. doesn't matter if you're a high school student, a middle school student, and you've got some things going on with some relationships, some friends in your life. It doesn't matter if you really want to grow spiritually. It doesn't matter what the problem is, the issue is in your life. This principle is true for every area of your life, but I'm going to nail it down today by talking about how it applies to marriage. And so if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. And here's the principle that we're going to unpack, excuse me, today. It's this principle, that God's activity doesn't cancel my responsibility. God's activity doesn't cancel my responsibility. Can we all say that together? Let's read it out loud together, really loud. God's activity doesn't cancel my responsibility. And the way that I want to unpack this, I want to ask you two questions today. I want to ask you two questions. i got to get this idea that God's activity doesn't cancel my responsibility. Because make no mistake about it, God wants to do a great work in your life. And if you're married, God wants to do a great work in your marriage. Or one day you hope to be married, then God wants to do a great work in your marriage when you get married. But listen, just because God wants to do a great work, it doesn't mean that you don't have work to do. You know what I'm saying? 
I, I, remember, I remember I had a buddy in college, and, and he'd, he'd been out with, all, with several different girls and that sort of thing, and he was just kind of fed up with the whole dating scene, you know what I'm saying? He was just kind of fed up with dating, and he was just kind of fed up with females in general. And I was hanging out in his dorm room one time, and he told me, he said, he said, Mark, I am tired of dating all these women. I'm tired of looking for a wife. I'm tired of all these women because none of them are the, are the one I'm looking for. Mark, I'm going to stay right here in my dorm room, and I'm going to pray that God brings the woman that he wants me to marry to my door. I'm just going to stay right here and pray for her to come. She's got to come to me. And man, that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? But I told him, I said, bro, 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 listen, that sounds so spiritual. God might set your bed on fire. It's so spiritual. But here's the problem. Girls are not allowed on this floor of the dorms. <laughs> so you got some issues, dude. You got some issues already, right? But here's, oh, here, oh, God, I want you to do the, I want you to work because I'm not going to work. Life doesn't work that way. God's activity doesn't cancel my responsibility. I want a new marriage. Well, then God's going to work and you've got work to do. You see that? I want to ask you two questions today. Write these down if you're taking notes. Here's the first question I want, I want to ask you today. Where are you going? Where are you going? And to unpack these questions, I want you to take a Bible. I want you to go ahead and open it up to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Open up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a second, okay? So if you don't have a church background or anything, man, that's an easy book to find on your phone or whatever. But Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be at in just a moment. Where are you going? That's the first question I want us to ask. You know, if you open up Google Maps, when I open up Google Maps, that's the first question Google Maps asks me. Where are you going? What's your destination? Type in your address, type in the location. Where are you going? Do you have a destination in mind when it comes to your marriage? Do you? Do, do you have a destination in mind when it comes to your marriage, I can ask it another way. Do you have a vision for your marriage? If you're single and you hope to be married one day, do you have a vision for what you want that marriage to look like? See, Andy Stanley, he's a pastor in Atlanta, he defines vision this way. He says that vision is a picture of the preferred future. It's a picture of what I hope the future will look like. Do you have a preferred future picture of your marriage? That person you're dating right now, do you have a, pre a preferred future picture of that relationship because make no mistake about it if you don't have a vision for your marriage God does God's got a vision for your marriage God's got a vision for your relationship in fact I don't want to say that I want you to see it so in Genesis chapter 2 what happens in Genesis 2 is Genesis 2 kind of zooms in on the fact of Genesis 1 God creates everything Genesis 2 zooms in on God creating the first human beings Adam and Eve and so Genesis 2 opens up, and there's God, and there's Adam in the Garden of Eden. And here's what you need to know about that. At the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect place. had everything that Adam could have ever wanted. And there was God, and God makes Adam. And what that says to you and me is that God made you and I for a relationship with him. God made Adam for a relationship with him. And so you and I, we were created by God to have a relationship with God. And so here's Adam and God in this perfect environment. Adam could have had everything that he ever wanted, but God looks at it, and in chapter 2, verse 18, God says this. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. And all the ladies said, amen? It's not good that the man should be alone. He's going to break something, right? 
He's going to need some help if he doesn't have duct tape and he can't fix the house. Oh my goodness, it's not good that the man should be alone. And so the Bible tells us that God performs the very first surgery. Now, aren't you glad you're in here? It's pouring outside. Man, if you had to use the bathroom, that's not helping you right now, is it? That's what I think of when I preach. I'm sorry. God performs the very first surgery, puts Adam to sleep, takes out one of Adam's ribs, and from that rib forms a woman, and we know that woman by the name of Eve. We don't know, God doesn't tell us how long it took Adam to wake up from his surgery, but God does tell us how Adam reacts the first time that he sees a naked woman. I'm just preaching the Bible, that's exactly right, because he wakes up, she's naked. And this is what happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Adam wakes up, and there's Adam, and there's Eve, and she is naked because they did not wear clothes in the Garden of Eden, all right? In verse 23, it says this, Then the man said, This at last. Hebrew translation, literally, Oh my gosh! This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Here's verse 24. This will be on the screen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Intimacy. One flesh. The idea of one flesh, it's literally that God's vision for relationships for our marriage is intimacy. It's two people. It's a husband and a wife coming together within the context of marriage. And God's vision isn't that those people, even though they're married, they live under the same roof, pay the same bills, but really they're drifting apart. No, no. God's vision is that more and more over time, that husband and that wife would become one flesh, come together. And the reason that that is God's vision is because the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, it tells us that marriage is supposed to be a picture of Jesus and the church, how much Jesus loves the church, that you can't separate Jesus from the church, and so marriage is one flesh intimacy. And listen to me, no relationship gets there on accident. It takes a lot of work, it takes some intentionality to get to a one flesh marriage, to have this kind of intimacy that God wants us to experience in that relationship, in our marriages. To get there, it requires a lot of work and intentionality. That's why God says this in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God says, listen, you need to watch out for anything that could be a roadblock to intimacy in your marriage. That's why he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and leave his mother and hold fast to his wife. I don't know what those roadblocks of intimacy might be in your marriage. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship. Maybe it's something from your past. I don't know what it is, but if there's a roadblock to intimacy in our marriages, then we need to do whatever it takes to get that roadblock out of our marriages. And not only that, but if we want to experience the kind of intimacy that God wants us to have, not only do we need to get rid of roadblocks to intimacy, we need to cultivate intimacy into our marriages. Isn't that right? We need to cultivate it. Well, what do you got to do to cultivate marriage, to cultivate intimacy in your marriage? Listen, take your wife out on a date. Amen, fellas? Listen, if you would have amen that, I bet she would have wanted to make out later today. I'm trying to help you out. Come on, guys. Come on. I've talked to enough dudes to know some guy, somebody's in the audience, and this is what somebody, somebody just thought. Why do I got to date her? I already married her. Oh. 
Tell your wife that, bro, and let me know how it goes. Just, just send me an email, right? Got to cultivate intimacy in our marriages. Let me just say this since I'm talking, talking to guys. And this statistic is, this study, this is true across the board. Doesn't matter what style of church, doesn't matter what denomination. Do you know, do you know who is most active and most involved in churches across America? Doesn't matter what, time, what, what kind of church it is, men or women. Who's more involved? Women. Who makes the decision in most houses to come to church on Sunday, men or women? Women. Who makes the decision to serve in most families, men or women? To give in most families, men or women? That the kids are going to be involved in church, men or women? Guys, we need to step that up. And listen, I'm saying that from from a position of blowing it most of the time. Blowing it most of the time. But guys, if we want to sow spiritual intimacy, not only do we need to be praying for our family, we need to be praying with our family. Amen? With our children. With our wives. If you're single and you're not married, if you're single, you're not married, praying for that person that God's going to bring into your life, but also praying that you would become the person that the other person needs you to be. God's vision is intimacy, and I don't know what you've got to do to get there, but whatever you've got to do, it is worth it. Where are you going? But the second question I want to ask us is who's driving? Where are you going? What's your destination? And who's driving? How? Who, are, who is going to take you to that destination? Because God says to Adam and Eve, listen, guys, this is my plan. This is my vision. Absolute perfect intimacy between me and you and then each other. And Adam and Eve hear that, and they say, no thanks, we'll, be, we'll drive. God, listen, you can have shotgun, but we need the steering wheel. And then in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve take the steering wheel, and then sin enters the world brokenness enters the world, and the fallout is greater than anyone could have anticipated. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8. I think these might be up there. I don't know. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, cool, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Whoa, 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 stop. See, just a second ago, they had a perfect relationship with God. They would have ran to him. Now they're hiding from him. Because sin always leads to separation from God and other people. Always. Verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And verse 12, this is how you know the Bible is written by God. This is how you know the Bible's inspired. Verse 12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit tree and I ate it. God, if she wouldn't talk to animals, we wouldn't be here. Right? And it just gets worse. So God goes to the woman. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What did you do? And the woman said, The serpent did it. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Does this sound like the conversation in the car today? Well, if you do this, oh, no. Well, if you do this, well, if you weren't so much like your mother, oh, no, you did not. Right? Does this sound familiar? Started in the garden. It's in your car this morning. See, here's our problem. Here's our problem. We think that to get a new marriage, then our spouse needs to change. We think all it takes to get a new marriage is that if their spouse would get their act together, everything would get fixed. If you change, this would be okay. And so what starts to happen is we begin to pray that our spouse would change, and we begin to work 
to make them change, but the reality is that we can't change them. Correct? We can't. Much as we want to, we can't. Here, listen, if you want a prayer that could revolutionize your marriage and literally get you in the, on the process of getting a new marriage, here's a prayer that you should begin to pray. It's a, it's a dangerous prayer, and God will always answer it, but it's this one. God, change me. Well, Mark, what about them? What about their addiction and what about their issues? Mark, they need to change. I know, and you're right. I'm not saying that they don't need to change. They do have some stuff they've got to work on, but we can't make them change. At the end of the day, the person that I need to, the only person that I can control to change is me. God, change me. See, really, we can sum this up in one word, and it's the word surrender. God says to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, listen, if you guys would just surrender and let me drive and accept my plan, that it's a good plan, then this is going to work out great. They said no. And as soon as they took the wheel, it led them to a place that, that, that they never could have imagined they'd ever go. And maybe that's exactly where you're at right now with your life. You're at a place where you thought that you would never go. Your marriage is at a place where you thought it would never go. And you don't know what to do. I want to say to you today that God can take brokenness and turn it into redemption. God can take the broken pieces of our lives and turn it into redemption. And I know that's true for at least two reasons. The first one is in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3. It just simply says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. That might not make much sense when you read it on the surface, but what that is, it's the very first foreshadowing of Jesus that we get in the Bible because it's a foreshadowing showing that Jesus is going to come, come one day. He's going to be our sacrifice and cover our sins. And so what God does in the very first act of redemption, God steps in to save a marriage. Let that land on you, that the first thing that God ever saved was a marriage. And he took the brokenness of that marriage and he made a sacrifice and covered them and it led to redemption. And God can take the broken pieces of your marriage and of your family and of your life and turn it into redemption. And if you don't believe me, I want to show you how it can happen. So bring the lights down completely and watch this video and give full attention to this. First, 1999. Everything was pretty good for the first, I don't know, what, 10 years. I'd go hang out with my buddies and go to ball games and just stuff that I normally done. And, you know, she was all right with it at first. But uh, then uh, it kept getting more and she'd stay home. And uh, she just, she didn't hang out with the people I hung out with. So she would just say, go on. 
needless to say, that uh, she just basically quit going anywhere with me. We just drifted apart. We had different friends, different outlooks on what we wanted and who we wanted to spend our time with and what we wanted to do. After that, uh, I met uh, this person uh, as a friend, and uh, from there, they were having problems. Uh, she was married, but anyway, they were having problems, and uh, I thought, you know, I was being a friend. I'd talk, text, and I thought I was doing nothing wrong at the time. Because all he was doing was texting. I mean, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, but I was doing something wrong because I was talking to somebody else that wasn't my wife, a female that wasn't my wife, and that, that's wrong. I call her, tell her, I told her, and it went downhill from there pretty much. When he called me that morning and he said, I have something to tell you, well, I knew something was wrong because he never calls me at 6.30 and says, I need to tell you something. And he said, I've been texting someone, but, you know, it's no big deal, and I didn't want you to hear it and take it the wrong way. So I said, okay. And actually at that point, I was mad, but I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't address it. Um, nothing happened. Um, I just said, don't do it again. If it happens again, please tell me. So he swore, I will, I will tell you. Um, nothing changed. We continued on the way we were. We just had a lot of struggles in our marriage other than, you know, other than where, where we were going. We had a lot of stress. We had, you know, there were a lot of other issues. And I guess all that takes a toll and you don't realize it. Mother's Day rolls around, and uh, we fought half the night. Uh, needless to say, our kids were home. Uh, things got broke, and uh, worst came to worst. Uh, called the law. You know, it, it was it was it was bad. She left and uh, went out riding around, and then uh, she came back. And I'd, I'd could have killed all the power to the garage. No way for her to get in. So uh, she drives her car through the garage. She won't in the house. She drove her car through the garage. Not 100 miles an hour. No, but you bad. still drove it through the garage door, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> it came through the garage door. I very slowly eased through and, and made then, the garage uh, door pop open then law, so that I could get back in the, the law, house. The law showed Because I up. guess at that point, he looked at me and said, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. And I was broken. Yep. And after that, uh, I actually filed. I filed for divorce. Ephesians, when it says, do not sin in your anger. And, you know, I broke every rule. I sinned beyond belief that night. I was angry. I broke plates in the house. I was screaming and yelling and doing a lot of things I shouldn't do. But yeah. So I had a lot that I needed to change about myself. It wasn't just him. We both. And anytime something like that happens, you're you're really quick to find what's wrong with your spouse, but you're not quick to find what's wrong with yourself. So I think that was a process for both of us to actually figure out that it wasn't just him and it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just me. It was both of us. 
So yes, I went to jail. In the few hours that I stayed in that holding cell, I saw the the writing um, in the holding area that said, how did I get here? You know, somebody had scribbled uh, with a pen, and it said something about, um, God, please help me. I miss my kids. And I was thinking, that's me. You know, I shouldn't be here. I'm too good to be here. I'm, you know, but I'm here. And the same people that come in here every day, they're no different from me. It could be me. It could be you. So I think God brought me down from here to here. I hadn't made no contact. She ended up getting another place, and I, I'd filed for divorce, and I hadn't talked to her at all, hadn't seen her out, you know. Uh, she has an older daughter that was telling me that mom's going to church and mom's doing this and mom's doing that. And I'd, uh, I'd actually, by that time, realized that, you know, I, I, was, I was alone. Four weeks went by. It was on a Sunday. I'll never forget it. I was laying there and just everything in me was just tore all to pieces, just killing me. God was telling me, one more, you got one more shot. And I was thinking, man, how am I going to get one more shot? How is she even going to talk to me after what i done? Her daughter called. In the middle of all this, she called. I told her, you know, how I felt. She said, well, call her. She'll talk to you. So I picked the phone up and I called her. A couple days went by. Our court date was set for a couple days. It, actually, it was, I think, that Monday. I talked to her on Sunday and that Monday. So uh, we went back to court. The know. judge sentenced us to counseling. Yeah. He that wouldn't grant the... the divorce. We had to go to counseling before he, he would wouldn't grant. He wouldn't just drop, drop the divorce. It. He right. wouldn't just drop it. Because I asked him to drop it. And he wouldn't drop it. You're going to do one or the other. So... So I actually found a Christian counselor in Lexington. But when we done that, we, we, we were talking, but nothing had changed. I mean, I, I hadn't felt like I'd done anything that awful at that time. We were struggling. Yeah, we were, we were still struggling. But we were, we were together, but we were struggling. So she comes home one, one evening from work, and she says, we're going to a small group Monday at 7. I'm like, we are. The couple that had the small group, her son was friends with my son. So um, she said, would you all like to come to the house? We're going to have some food and a little Bible study. You know, would you all like to come? I knew several people there. So I felt comfortable with it. But I guess when I came home and said, we're invited to a small group, they're just going to eat and have a Bible study. You know, I don't know how receptive he was to it. So I went. <laughs> But it took several times, you know, of attending and talking and, and sharing, you know. They would share something as small as having an argument over garbage. Over taking the garbage you know, out. The, but it made us feel more comfortable because that way we could relate to, okay, these people aren't perfect. Right. And, you know, even though they're Christians and even though they appear to have a perfect home on the outside, on the inside, there's little things every day that take a toll on every one of us. They have problems, too. We started coming to Summit. We felt led to come here and 
it just took off. I mean, it was it was amazing. We started attending Mark's small group on Wednesday nights, and uh, we started developing friends, and the friends, and the connections, and we knew a lot of people that already came here, and there were several people that knew what we were going through, and they had already invited us several times. We started coming here. We started coming to Summit. We quit arguing and fighting with the little things. But forgiveness is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And you can say, I forgive you. And then two days down the road, you're mad over it again. So forgiveness is not something that just happens. It's not something you just say and it happens. It's a process. And you have to pray every day, Lord, help me get through this day without being angry, without bringing up something from the past. Help me to get through this day, just today. And you just take one day at a time. Our relationship is, is wonderful. I believe uh, we have 180 compared to where we were at. I mean, totally 180. And I think it's a transformation that you can see a change in your spouse. Because I can see that he's a totally different person. We, we've, we've learned to deal with our problems where we can talk to one another. Before, we couldn't talk to one another. And now we can. And it all goes back to we pray together. We're active in the church. And we have Christian friends. Yeah. Christian friends who hold you accountable. Right. So, uh, to me, our marriage is better than it was the day we got married. Because we didn't know what we wanted then. And now we do. No matter how good you think your marriage is, the closer you both get to God, the better your marriage is going to be. Yep. And don't give up. You know, today you might be at a place where you look at your life and your marriage and your family and what you think is, you know what, we need a new one. I need a new marriage. Something's got to give. And what I want to say to you today is that God's activity doesn't cancel your responsibility. And maybe the responsibility that God is calling you to today is the responsibility of surrendering to Him. Because maybe the thing that would kickstart God's activity in your marriage is the responsibility of you simply surrendering and then forgiving your spouse. Surrendering and then confessing that thing to your spouse that both of you know is there and it's been underneath the surface. Or surrendering and then stepping into the need. You know what? We need to talk to somebody. We need to be in a group like what Chuck and Kim were in that God used to save their marriage. Mark, where can I join one of those? You know what? You can join one of those right here at Summit. Right here at Summit, we've got at least two life groups that are meeting right now this semester. They meet throughout the week at least two to help you strengthen and for some of you save your marriage. For some of you, stop settling for a good marriage and begin to go for the marriage that God wants you to have, which is a marriage of intimacy and one flesh. You need to swallow your pride, maybe, and join one of those groups. Chuck and Kim's group meets every Monday night right here at the forum. I believe at six o'clock. John and Angela Holbrook are over here. I don't know where John went, but their group, Angela, where, what, what day and time does your group meet? Tell me. Wednesday at 6.30 at R.W. Combs. Some of you have got to run there this week. 
if you don't do what if you don't do what you need to do, I am tell I am talking to somebody today. You are going to lose the people who are the most precious in your life. And that is not what you signed up for. That is not the destination you got in this car for. What can turn the car around? Surrender. Surrender. Some of you are here and you're, you're sitting in the seat and you're listening to this and you worked so hard to save that marriage and it didn't work. The more you surrendered to God and the more you tried to save it, the further they went from you. And maybe it's just falling apart around you or you sit there and it's already over. And so when you think about God, what happens is you think that God looks at you and all God sees is the failed marriage. All God sees is the divorce. But I want to say to you today that if you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you and sees divorce. If you are in Christ, he looks at you and he sees his son, his daughter, you are loved by God today. You are loved by God. You have got to know that. And you have got to believe that and receive it. Divorce might have happened to you, but it doesn't define you. Who you are in Christ defines you. You might be here today, you need to surrender your dating life. You're going farther than you know that God wants you to go. And you know and God know it's not giving you what you want. It's not giving you happiness and fulfillment. You still feel empty. Some of you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus today. Saw 19 people do it last week. Do you need to do it today? If you need to do it today, that invitation is open for you. Because God's activity, what he wants to do in your life, doesn't cancel your responsibility. If you want to be saved today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, then right now I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray and to say to God, God, I surrender my life to you. Save me. And when you do that, God will meet you and change your life. I don't know what you got to do to save your marriage, but if I'm talking to you, it's worth it. I don't know what you got to do to step into what God is calling you to today as an individual, as a family, but I want to say to you today, it is worth it. And today, if you need to give your life to Jesus, it is worth it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I know you are speaking to people. I know today was for somebody. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to, to know that your activity, what you want to do, doesn't cancel our responsibility because what some of us need to do today is, is to simply say, I surrender. I surrender. Somebody in here feels like throwing in the towel. They need to surrender instead. Somebody in here is on the brink of making the worst decision of their life. They need to surrender instead. Somebody in here has already made that decision and they're experiencing the ramifications of it. They need to know that you love them and it's not too late to surrender and to see you change things. Jesus, I pray that right now and as we dismiss in just a moment, speak life over this place. Speak life over our hearts. Listen, I know we've went over time today, but could you just keep your head, head bowed and your eyes closed? And I know maybe you've got something to do. It'll be there when you get there. Can you wait just a second? And I'd like to ask everybody in the room to stand up right now. Just go ahead and stand.
And as you stand, stay in that spirit of prayer. God is speaking to you. Maybe, he's, maybe you're talking to him about something in your life, your family. Stay in that spirit of prayer, but let's all stand. And I just want to ask a question today. Is God telling you to surrender something? Is God telling you to surrender your pride? Is God telling, telling you to surrender and to stop going down that path that you know is going to destroy you? Is God telling you to surrender and fight to save your marriage? Is God telling you to surrender and come back to Him? Is God telling you to surrender today? God could be speaking in millions of different ways today. But if that's what God is speaking to you into your life right now, if you're in the crowd and you're saying, Mark, there is something in my life that I need to surrender to God. There's an area in my life where I need to surrender to God. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand right now. Do it right now. Hands are going up all over this room. Raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand. Don't hold back and let pride get in the way. Just raise it. Say, Jesus, I need to surrender. Hands are going up all over this room. And if you raised your hand, you didn't raise your hand, I want to ask you, would you step out of your aisle? There are people in the back who want to pray for you, and they want to encourage you. But listen, somebody in this room, you, yes, yeah, it's okay to set, stay in your seat, and you can pray to God, but there's somebody in here. I just believe there's somebody in this room, and if it's just one or if it's 100 people, there's somebody in this room, you need to step out of your aisle and go to the back. Somebody needs to encourage you. Somebody needs to talk you in to keep going. Somebody needs to pray life over you. If that's you today, you say, man, I just need to be prayed for. If you raised your hand, you didn't raise your hand, step out of the aisle. Go to the back right now. But if you raised your hand, talk to God about that area you need to surrender. If you need to step out of the aisle, go to the back. Go to the back right now. Just go and don't hold back. Just go and don't hold back. But maybe you are here and Jesus has told you today is the day to surrender your life to me. It's the day to be saved. It's the day to begin a relationship with me. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. I surrender to you right now. I need you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I give my life to you today. Amen. No one is looking around. If you just prayed that prayer, I just simply want to I just simply want to pray for you and celebrate with you today. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm going to count to 3 and as soon as I say 3, I'm just simply going to ask you today to raise your hand high in the air so that I can know you've made that decision. 1 2 3, raise your hand right now if today you want to give your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And if you have your hand raised or if you're going to raise your hand, if you've made that decision, look at me. Look at me right now. Don't leave today until you let somebody know what you've done. Right there in the back of the auditorium, we want to give you one of these free Bibles and this book that we've put together for you, but on the connection card that you got when you walked in, check the box that says, I gave my life to Christ. I want to pray for us one more time, and I'm going to pray for marriages and families in the room. Jesus, I pray for marriages and families right now, God, who are struggling, who are hurting, who are confused, seem to hit a wall. Help them to know that you can take the broken pieces and begin to put them back together. God, for the person that's in here and they are on the other side of a marriage that they hoped would work out and it didn't. Let them know your love for them like never before. I pray, God, that you would strengthen families. I pray that there are families, there are couples 
who would step into one of these life groups this week. I pray that you'd save marriages. You'd heal families. And God, this week as we step out into a world, we face an enemy that wants to tear marriages apart. Thank you that you are greater than our enemy. And you are greater than the world. And you go with us in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Everyone said amen. Summit, let's thank God for today. Ma'am. You know, I just believe that today was for somebody. And if it was, if God spoke to you today, would you take your connection card and write on the back how God spoke to you, how we could pray for you, and drop those in the baskets on your way out. Hey, if you want to be a part of the Walking Dead event, just stick around here. Or the VIP event is in the lobby. And Discover Summit is in the multi-purpose room. Guys, I love you. You're dismissed. See you next Sunday. Thanks.